Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And as promised, we have a special bonus episode for you as we try to jam-pack the RSS feed before 2023. Uh, This episode comes to you straight from the Patreon, a new style of bonus episode that I'm doing where I read various Substack articles that I've written. Uh, I have a couple of articles now on my Substack, some of them behind a paywall, others are not behind the paywall. But if you sign up on Patreon, you get access to all of that, as well as what you're about to hear, where I read through my uh, Substack article and give commentary. So look forward to more episodes like this moving forward into 2023. Here's a little sneak peek. Uh, The first episode you're going to hear is a full Patreon episode about St. Germain. And then after a musical interlude, you'll go and hear a conversation between Juan, Roman, and I. All three of us swap-casted this episode on our respective Patreons, and I did not put the full episode in the episode. So if you want to hear the full thing, uh, go and check whether you're signed up on my Patreon, Roman's Patreon, or Juan's Patreon, you can hear that episode in any three of those places. You're about to hear a portion of it uh, right now after this first section about St. Germain. So enjoy. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you have a fantastic conclusion to your 2022. Like I said, we're jam-packing the RSS feed, so there will be more episodes coming out tomorrow the day after and the day after until new year's eve so enjoy this episode with yours truly and after roman juan and i Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, Patreon edition, where I read Substack articles that I've written. There's been a few people that have read some of these Substack articles, but I figured for you Patreon supporters, you deserve a narrated version of the Substack. And this is going to be the fodder, the ground break, where I... Uh, find topics that are worth talking about on this Patreon show or maybe just on the regular show. This is not synchro wisdom dialogue. This is not uh, my family thinks I'm crazy. It's a my family thinks I'm crazy Patreon show. I don't, I don't have a name for it yet. Maybe there'll be a name for it in the future. But right now, this episode is about the Count of St. Germain a man that no one has ever been able to make out. We're going to attempt to do that today. So, my Substack article starts with a very interesting image. And this is all free. This Substack article is free. Whether you subscribe to the Substack or not, you can read this article. So, why don't you open up the Substack, subscribe, put your email in there while you're listening, and uh, follow along so you can see the images. So, the enigmatic Count of St. Germain has been known by many names. Many have claimed knowledge of the Count's true identity. Others simply knew him as Count St. Germain. Nonetheless, here's our lineup. And that pause there, that was me realizing that I wrote, I have an error that I need to correct, so... That's going to happen during these episodes. I'm not perfect, folks. I'm not a flawless writer. I wrote, many have claimed knowledge of the Count's true identity of the Count. We need to take that part 
of the Count out. Many have claimed knowledge of the Count's true identity. Others simply knew him as Count St. Germain. Nonetheless, here's our lineup. Perfect. Cut. All right. So, Georgie Racozzi is one of the identities of St. Germain. Now, who is Georgie Sarkozy? Let's see who Georgie Sarkozy is officially. Ra- Did I say his name correctly? Georgie Rakasuzi. So, according to official sources, that official source being SaintGermainOrder.org, Prince Georgie Rakazi was born August 8th, 1701, in Vienna. He was the youngest son of Prince Frank Leopold II Rakosi of Siebenbargen, which is also known as Transylvania, or maybe is a part of Transylvania. So he was the son of Prince Frank Leopold of Transylvania and Princess Charlotte Amalia of Hessen. Ryan Falls, Rotenberg. George Rakosi's oldest brother, Lipo Lajos Georgi Rakosi, died at the age of three. George Rakosi's one year older brother, Joseph Rakosi, was born August 17, 1700, in Vienna. He died at the age of 38 of pneumonia. N- pneumonia. <laughs> Both brothers grew up in the family of Gian Gaston de Medici. Ooh, the Medicis. The Grand Duke of Tuscany. Of Tuscany. Both George and Joseph grew up in the Habsburg house and at the the Grand Duke of Tuscany. Giovanni Gaston de Medici. Uh, Let's see. So both brothers had to make a promise to the house of Habsburg not to leave Italy. They had vowed never to contact or visit their father, Frank Leopold, in Turkey, Rodosto, Turkey, where he was exiled by the Emperor Joseph at the Habsburg House in 1770 because of his freedom struggle against the Habsburg monarchy. Although both brothers Rakosi made the promise not to leave Italy, they fled in 1726 from Italy to visit their father in Turkey. Prince Georgi Rakosi disappeared in Paris in 1727. Everyone thought he died. He changed his name to Count George Tarislaw and married Margaret Suzanne Pinthro de Bois-Ial. They had a son who they named George, of course, uh, Count George Tereslaw, a.k.a. George Recozzi, then disappeared again in 1756 and reappeared under the name Count St. Germain at Count Weldonia in 1756, or the court of Weldonia. So Count St. Germain was Louis the. 15th's friend and secret envoy. The king entrusted him. Is that the 15th or is that the 9th? What is a X is 10 and V is 5 if we're doing Roman numerals. So Louis XV, right? So yeah, the, the 15th. Wow, that's a lot of Louis. The king entrusted him secret missions concerning private affairs and secret peace negotiations. The king did not trust his minister and ambassador who were constantly plotting behind his back. During Count St. Germain's stay in Paris, he often met Madame Pompadour and later Madame Dubarry. Madame Dubarry. They met frequently with the king in the castle Chambord and the little... Trianon at Versailles. The Count St. Germain's last four years in life were spent at Prince Carl of Hessen. He was a Danish general and head of the Duchy of Schleswig and Holstein. Count St. Germain officially died in February 27, 1784 in Eckernford, Schleswig, 
I said it so good before, Schleswig-Holstein in Germany. At the time, Eckenford belonged to Denmark. Count St. Germain was buried in St. Nicholas Church in Eckenford. Before he died, he promised to reincarnate every hundred years until he had completed his mission in the service of mankind on earth. Very interesting. Okay, so this is the what the Count GermainOrder.org officially says about the identity of St. Germain. Now, here's another name that's given, very similar, Francis Ricosi. Now, you remember from what we just read, he relocated, he renamed himself a couple of times. Maybe this was one of those names. Maybe this is the same guy. It's the same it's the same last name. Let's see. Yep, same story. They give pretty much the same story. And if you follow on the Substack, you can see all of this. Uh, we also have the identity of Major James Fraser, who claims he was the Count St. Germain in the 1820s. We have uh, Richard John Frey in the set 1970s in France, who claims that he is the St. Germain. Uh, then we have others who claim that the Count St. Germain has been on the planet on the, the earth since the days of Jesus as the wandering Jew, a.k.a. Cartaphilus. Uh, then we have other theories that maybe the Count St. Germain was Merlin, maybe he was Francis Bacon, and maybe he was even the vampire Jacques St. Germain of legendary New Orleans, Louisiana fame in uh, the 1920s. So... Very interesting stuff. Uh, we know that the official Count St. Germain, whomever he was, identified himself with different names in different places. Marquis de Montferrat in Venice, Comte Belmar in Venice, Chevalier Schoening at Pisa, uh, Pisa uh, Count Weldon in Milan, Count Soltikoff at Genoa, Graf Zarogi at Schwalbach and Count St. Germain in Paris. So, seems like the kind of activity of a spy, if you ask me. Different names, getting to know these kings, getting to know these royal people. Uh, St. Germain is allegedly linked to several secret societies, from the Rosicrucians to the Freemasons. Uh, the Society of Asiatic Brothers, the Knights of Light, the Illuminati, and the Order of the Templars. Although some Freemason sources claim he founded the Order of St. Joachim. Joachim. Uh, here is a list of the many people who have knew, who knew or have claimed to have seen or met the mysterious Count. So we have... Giacomo Casanova, who described him as a celebrated and learned imposter. We have Prince Charles of Hesse Castle, uh, considered him to be one of the greatest philosophers who ever lived. Uh, we have Cagliostro, famous occultist. Uh, Jean-Philippe Ramu, who was a sort of... Uh, Theorist at the time, a sort of educational, pedagogic philosopher, I think. Something to that degree. Uh, Franz Mesmer, who himself was also a part of secret societies. Uh, Edgar Sacy claimed that when he was in a trance, uh, St. Germain presented himself. Uh, Guy Ballard, founder of the I Am Activity claimed that he met St. Germain on Mount Shasta in California in August 1930, and this initiated his training and experiences with other Ascended Masters in various parts of the world. We also have some other Theosophists, C.W. Leadbeater and Madame Blavatsky, of course Annie Besant. Um, so yeah, St. Germain 
left a strong impression long after his official death. Uh, whether or not he was immortal, his persona certainly lived on. Uh, during his official lifespan, the account the account achieved achieved notoriety in European high society, attracting kings, playwrights, and followers. He was considered a mystic philosopher, social influencer, and an ascended master. To some, the count represented the second coming of Jesus Christ, and a being who defied death, being reincarnated through the ages. Uh, I, Mystic Mark, wonder if this is because St. Germain was made legend in the halls of secret societies, of which he seems to have boasted multiple memberships. For example, the Order of the Rosy Cross, the Freemasons, the Brahmins, and the Count even claimed to have been close to the Twelve Apostles. So, uh, although the Twelve Apostles and the Brahmins might not be considered secret societies, he claimed to be a part of them. He also claimed to be a part of, or they claimed he was a part of, the Kit Kat Club, whose members also included notables like William Congreve, John Locke, Sir John Van Brew, Joseph Addison, uh, who are these people? Well, let's see. William Congreve. Uh, well, I can't look right now. They were people who were a part of the political movements in England at the time. A very tumultuous period. Uh, so yeah, the Kit Kat Club. Very interesting. It could be that the Count was meddling in the affairs of England during this very turbulent time of political upheaval. Maybe he was doing this on behalf of the nobility, uh, the black nobility, the Medicis. Uh, Saint Germain was supposedly educated in Italy by the last of the Medicis. His alleged mother, brother-in-law, mother's brother-in-law, uh, he was believed to be a student at the University of Siena. Throughout his adult life, he deliberately spun a confusing web to conceal his actual name and origins, using different pseudonyms in different places of Europe that he visited. So look at that. And it's interesting because Wikipedia quotes P.T. Barnum, uh, but it seems that P.T. Barnum's actually quoting Kenneth McKenzie uh, because I found that exact paragraph I just read within a much larger description of the Count St. Germain. So, that reads as follows. His origin is doubtful. One account says he was born at Letmeritz in Bohemia by the Marquis de Crecois. He was pronounced to be an Alsatian Jew of the name Simon Wolif, born at Strasbourg about the beginning of the 18th century, Others affirm that he was a Spanish Jesuit named Imar, while others again state that the true name of this remarkable personage was the Marquis de Betmar, and that he was born in Portugal. But the most reasonable theory makes him the natural son of an Italy, the natural son of an Italian princess born at San Germano in Savoy about 1710. His father being one Iotondo, a tax collector of the district. That this, would be seem, that this would seem to be true is borne out by the fact that he spoke all the languages he knew with a strong Italian accent. He was first heard of in Europe as the Count de Saint-Germain in 1750 when the Marquis del Belice made his acquaintance in Germany and induced him to come to Paris, where he was soon introduced to the Marquis de Pompadour. This fixed his destiny and rendered him a favorite at court. He was singularly handsome, a great proficient in music, especially upon the violin. Indeed, he wrote musical work, La Musique Raisonnée, which was published in England for private circulation. He was also an able magician and diviner and practiced many higher branches of the magical arts. 
1760, he was sent by Louis the 15th to negotiate a peace with England. But M. de Chazol, then prime minister of France, wrote secretly to Pitt to have him arrested as a Russian spy. For this, there would seem to have been some reason, as he was the inseparable friend of Prince Lobkowitz. The fashion of the times warranting it, he was an inveterate, inveterate gambler and won fabulous sums, in which he spent with equal munificence. And Masonry then, being in the ascendant, he laid claim to the highest rank and asserted himself to be over 500 years of age. He spoke English, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, German, Usian, which I think is supposed to be Russian, uh, Polish, Swedish, Danish, and many Oriental languages with equal facility. And he laid claim to powers over the spiritual world into which he used to pass in a trance condition. Long before Mesmer had methodized that peculiar form of psychology, his own pretensions were amazing. He said he had been born in Chaldea and professed to possess the secrets of the Egyptian sages. He claimed to have been personally intimate with the Savior and his twelve apostles, and have reproved Peter for his bad temper. As to modern history, he conversed with ease and anecdotal power, mentioning obscure points without reference to himself, and correcting errors which had crept into the records. His power of prediction was verified in the case of King Louis the fifteenth, respecting whom he made a remarkably accurate prophecy his gift of memory was also amazing after repeating through a newspaper of the day after reading through a newspaper of the day he could from memory repeat every word it contained and he also exercised the rare faculty of duality of brain writing a love letter with one hand and a verse with the other sealed letters he could read at a glance and most recondite and difficult problems were solved by him his aqua benedetta was the true elixir of life and he was never seen to eat or drink by anyone he declared himself in possession of the art of transmutation of metals which he had learnt in hindustan now known as india and by the assistance of the brahmins he had acquired the art of the artificial crystallization of pure carbon, in other words, the production of the diamond. In 1780, when on a visit to the French ambassador to The Hague, he broke to pieces with a hammer a superb diamond of his own manufacture, the counterpart of which, also manufactured by himself, he had just before sold to a jeweler for 55,000 louis d'or. His political importance was evidently great, as he was concerned in the conspiracies of the 1762 of 1762 at St. Petersburg, and ten years afterwards, Count Orloff received him with joy at Vienna, accosting him as Caro Padre and presenting him with twenty sequins, which he became intimate with and fascinated. Did I say 20 sequins? I meant 20,000 sequins. He became intimate with and fascinated Frederick the Great, at whose court he remained a long time. In 1774, he went to Schwalbach in Germany under the name of Count Zrogi, but afterwards traveled much in Italy and Denmark. He declared that he was tired of immortality in 1783 and resigned it at Eckernfjord in Schleswig. He founded the Society of St. Joachim, afterwards known as St. Joachim. His mantle fell on Cagliostro. He had numerous aliases in Venice. He was known as the Count de Belmura at Pisa, as the Chevalier de Schoening at Milan, as the Chevalier Weldon at Genoa, and as Count Soltico. And I read that earlier. There can be no doubt of his attainments. It was sometimes said that he was the famous Althotas, but it was not the case. And that's where I stopped. I think there is more on St. Germain 
but I didn't want to lift the whole or the whole section from the Royal Masonic Cyclopedia, which I have a PDF copy of. If you are a part of the Best Friend Book Club, you can ask me. I will send you a PDF copy of the Royal Masonic Cyclopedia. And you can read the following, which is that St. Germain, I'm pausing to find the right page. Here he is. There's a bookmark on the page. Okay, so, but it was not the case. That's where I left off. Um, Yeah, that's where it ends. Okay, so I did read everything. All right. So all of this paired with what I know about Aleister Crowley uh, and often mentioned in the same breath, John D. it seems that the Count St. Germain fits a similar archetype. He's an aristocrat, he's an occultist, he's an initiate, and he's a spy with political uh, conspiracies under his belt. So... uh, Mackenzie then writes that St. Germain founded the Order of St. Joachim, right? So uh, a group that exists to this day, and they bear a green Maltese cross on their flag. Uh, Some have pointed this group as inheritors of the Templar lineage. Others have pointed to them as the true Illuminati. Uh, Their website is very... Uh, sterile, <laughs> very corporate, stjoachimorder.org. Go and check it out yourself. Uh, the link is on the substack. Officially, this order was first headed by His Serene Highness Prince Christian Franz von Saxon-Coburg-Salfeld, son of reigning Duke Franz Josias. Uh, Prince Christian Franz was installed as their first Grand Master on June 20th, 1756, a position which he held until 1773. So yeah, that is the same Saxon Coburg und Gotha that when anglicized is the Saxon Coburg Gotha family. Uh, This is the same family that usurped the English throne Uh, with Queen Elizabeth and the same family that uh, is related to the New England aristocratic Bush family, whose matriarchal Barbara Bush is allegedly related to Aleister Crowley. So look at that, full circle. Uh, Furthermore, Crowley is often accused of practicing diabolical black magic and human sacrifice. Although this is hearsay, uh, we can't resist leaving out the iteration of the Count St. Germain, who would have been a contemporary to Aleister Crowley. It's the same iteration of the Count St. Germain, who was a vampire in New Orleans. So very odd. Uh, Brent Swanser writes of this, throughout history there have been those mysterious misunderstood individuals who have left bafflement, oddities, and enigmas in their wake. They seem to come from nowhere to puzzle and amaze, only to disappear into the depths of history, to be forever ciphers beyond our understanding. One such strange individual called New Orleans his home in the early 1900s, and by some accounts was more than merely an eccentric, but also an immortal vampire. The setting for this odd tale is the city of New Orleans, Louisiana in the early 1900s when one day a mysterious stranger came to town to take up residence at an opulent home at 1039 Royal Street. The stranger called himself Jacques St. Germain. Jacques St. Germain. Uh, You can read more about that at Mysterious Universe. Uh, Brent. Swanser wrote a whole article about it. And then that's the end of my Substack article, folks. Uh, You can go and look at this picture. It's an alleged picture of the Count St. Germain posing with Helena Blavatsky. And you be the judge. Let me know what you think, whether or not you think that uh, the theosophists were right or wrong, and if this is a picture of a true person or not. Uh, Until next episode... Thank you for tuning in. Please go and subscribe to the Substack. Uh, and 
if you're already here on the Patreon, uh, don't don't worry. You don't have to pay the fee. I will be posting everything from the Substack to the Patreon. I just have to copy paste it. So, uh, and also you get this bonus audio version of the sh- of the article. So look at that. Uh, so yeah, subscribe. Check it out. This Count Saint Germain article is free on the Substack, and there are other articles on the Substack. And if you subscribe to the email list, whether you subscribe uh, for a fee or not, you can access updates and all kinds of things to any new articles or episodes that come out. Substack is sort of like a uh, email server for that purpose, which is really helpful. You could also find my article about New Haven titled Armageddon or New Heaven. Uh, And then, of course the latest article about where's waldo and a strange connection to voodoo dolls so Yeah, I told Mark like about I told Mark about I don't write my yeah sometimes I'll write my dreams down but I have this tablet that's the the remarkable yeah and I told Mark about it uh because it's it, again it's like writing on paper and I take all my podcast ones it's like writing on paper you see it's like re- really weirdly reflective um and, he, and it's like having a notebook but except it's digital. And I like this because I can organize my, cause I used to have a notebook, like an actual notebook like that. Uh, but the problem with that is, uh, you know, if I want to search something up, you have to fucking flip through all of it. It's like this. I just type so in you what can save it and you save it all on there and everything. Oh yeah, dude. I got hundreds of all my interviews have been on here ever since like I've been using this thing for like a year. The wife got it for me for, for Christmas and it's just all my episodes are on there. Just different notes on you everything. Put, you got you decent should, storage. You should put that into yeah. a book and sell that one. Be like the, there you behind, go. the behind the scenes of the one-on-one episodes. Like, I'm sure you Behind can learn the a lot from just from your reading your notes. I keep all my uh, the the intro to my podcast. I write it before I record it, so I keep mm. all of those. Uh, maybe those will make their way into something one day. But yeah, I I wrote that uh, Substack article about the Waldensians. This group of people that got exterminated. They were the proto Protestants that became a part of the Protestant Reformation, but the church considered them uh, psychic enemies for uh, most of the Dark Ages. And it's interesting because the Cross of Hende, uh, I'm pretty sure, takes some... I haven't haven't read much of it, but there are some parts about St. Denise, and that comes up in what I was looking into with the Protestants, but it also comes up with my skull and bones research, uh, and how St. Saint, Saint Denny, D E N I S. He's like this guy who, who was so pious. He loved preaching for God so much that when the Romans cut his head off, he kept preaching and held his head in his hands and walked through the town, <laughs> preaching, yeah, preaching yeah. until he, he died. So, He's like the headless one, and, and that's kind of interesting with the whole... Yeah, it's right there in the book. So that's interesting with uh, Skull like and Bones. Saint John as well. Part yeah. Of the, the saint. Exactly, Skull and Bones. Connecting your head from the spine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have... That's- 
Go ahead. So that's the wall. I'm sorry. Did you? Can you say the the culture? It's the wall. Did wall? I'll share Waldensians. I'll, I'll share my screen. I'll show you guys my article. So I told Waldensians reminds. Yeah, reminds me of Denisovan. I'm getting a lot of Denisovian vibes off of that, etymologically. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, they claim that they go back all the way to the apostles and that they were friends with Jesus and that that's who, you know, that's they basically came over to the Alps in Europe with Mary Magdalene uh, after Jesus was killed, and that's where they stayed. But obviously the Catholic Church doesn't want people to know that kind of story they don't you know that goes against their story of what happened so but yeah mm-hmm. let me show you my where's waldo presentation if you don't mind oh they swooped upon mary magdy huh <laughs> no time at all just whoop the m&m mary magdalene Shit. all right so we're gonna use a little bit of etymology which i know homie romy's uh, used to the etymology. Juan, I'm sure you're, you've used etymology in your research. So we look at the word Waldo, right? I mean, most people think of where's Waldo when they hear Waldo, possibly. They might also think of like Ralph Waldo Emerson or, uh, yeah, um, I guess Waldo. I was going to say Lee Harvey Oswald for some reason, but Oswald is kind of like, the name Waldo, mm-hmm. if you add an S. Uh, I Waldo. didn't think about that until just now. So anyways, Waldo, when we look at the definition of Waldo, uh, it goes back to this guy Peter Waldo or Valdo in French. And uh, the other definition of Waldo is a remote manipulation system in which a slave device mimics the motions of a master device manipulated directly by the operator. So when I saw oh, those go. two together, I'm like, what the hell? Why Why do we have two very vastly different definitions of this seemingly normal name, right? Name Waldo. Like, I always thought Waldo was like a nickname of the name Walter, but it turns out it's not. Um, so anyways, Waldo, again, there's another definition. Um, and here's the, the root words. Wald meaning forest, authority, and power, and all you know the the latter part of the word is so i don't know how you pronounce that piof but it, it becomes the word thief later on so these were basically like waldos were like bad dudes in the woods so to speak uh by the definition uh, given here uh but oh that, like wilderness welder walder wilder woods waldo yeah and even the word in german is wad wod right so and we have Waldo deriving from this older Valdo or Vaudois. Now, I looked into the Vaud. I'm like, okay, what's the Vaud? It's a place in, in Switzerland and next to France. So it was a part of France for some time, too. And it's where the term Vaudeville comes from. We also get the word mm-hmm. villain from this Vaudeville. So uh, interesting um, connection there that I didn't really go down too far. But... This place was called Helveti to the Romans. The Celts lived there. The Romans conquered it and created a place called Vive, which later was called Viviscus. Viviscus, which is, kind of reminds me of like what the vivisect, like when you vivisect something, uh, you divide it into two e- even parts. So thick, also like vi- viscous, like thick, mm, like a thick cut. Maybe, yeah. So it's right on this Lake Geneva, this Vaud, this place Vaud, uh, Lake Geneva's part of Switzerland now. And there's the Bern. They kind of took over the the Vaud. The Bern is like another place in Switzerland. All this stuff happened there. Not important, but either way. I see. Uh, now here we're going. I, I remember because I remember you bringing up uh, uh, how how you found that Waldo went into voodoo, and I was just like, "Oh, that's very interesting." The history of voodoo is supremely esoteric and uh, very right. tantalizing. So, using etymology, I found that Waldo and voodoo are basically the same word. So, in French, vaudois or vaudois uh, is the base for Waldo in English, but it's also the base for voodoo in French. So when the French went to Africa and they went to 
New Orleans, you know, the, the New World, uh, and they saw these, like, Caribbean tribes practicing magic, they called them voodoo because that was their word in the uh, old world for this type of secret, hidden, dark magic. So uh, here we have the definition of voodoo. It's basically just associated with the cultures that France colonized, even though it's a French word. They have their own words for it, uh, iwi or fan, the fan. Um, there's a bunch of other names for voodoo, depending on which culture you're talking about. So voodoo is a French creation, the term voodoo. And it goes back to this group, the Valdensians. And the Valdensians, again, are interesting because they, according to their own history, were friends with Jesus. That's how old they go back. But if you look at their historical record, they say that this guy Peter Waldo created the Waldensians sometime in you know the 1100s A.D. after death, right? So uh, according to the official story, that's when the Waldensians appear, but according to them, they've been around since the time of Christ. Now, we have this place, uh, the Vaudois, that they kind of all congregate in these valleys on the north side of the Alps. And Oliver Cromwell at one point sends a guy to stop the bloody massacres of the Vaudois, right? And this is kind of important because, like I said before, the Vaudois, the Waldensians, they're like proto-Protestants, and Cromwell was the Protestant reformer of England. He, you know, basically took the government away from the throne and usurped it and created the parliament, and then the royals, you know, kind of took it back eventually, but they kept the parliament as a part of their government. So Cromwell... Um, being a Protestant, had some sympathy for these Protestant Waldensians. Now, I'm skipping over a bunch of more, like, you know, history, dry history here. But the point of this being here is to compare what history, as Wikipedia tells us, compared to what this guy Stuart Swordlow says in his book, True World History, Humanity Saga. Now, he only spends two chapters talking about the Waldensians. The rest of the book goes all over the place. It's it's basically, as the title suggests, a saga of human history. It's a really interesting book. I recommend you two get it. I'll send you the PDF. Um, but it's sort of uh, it's sort of on the lines of New Agey, right? So that's why I included it. You know, compared with the historical side of it. But he elaborates on the Vaudois connection and says that it's an old world, old word from Latin, which is representing people that do secret, psychic, or hidden things. And the word was used as early as the fourth century. So again, the Waldensians told themselves as the descendants of the apostles. They spread out from the Holy Lands into what is now Turkey, Egypt, and Southern Europe. They eventually wound up in Rome and uh, St. Paul, his original name was Saul. So they're all connected to these saints and apostles, mm -hmm. right? And uh, the Nag Hammadi text even sort of documents some of their beliefs, which up until the Nag Hammadi text was found, they were thought to not be, you know, telling the truth. They were like, you know, making things up based off the Bible, right? Like fan fiction, but biblical fan fiction. Uh, but this turns out to not be true when we find the Nag Hammadi text. We find that, no, actually there were things removed from the Bible, and it wasn't fan fiction. It was the reverse of that, where the Bible was controlled by the church, and they are like, no, we got to take some parts out. But these guys, the Waldensians who escaped the grasp of the church, they preserved things like the teachings of... Um, or the Gospels of Philip Thomas and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. So... Again, that kind of ties into some things that are talked about in the Cross of Hende a little bit when we look at the Protestants, the Reformers, and maybe some of their, uh, their <laughs> myths. Bless you. Um, so anyways, the Waldensians, they actually made it to the New World. They came to the United States and founded a couple different colonies uh, that are now known as Monet, Missouri, and Valdez, North Carolina. There's also one that's gone up in New York. So 
the Waldensians escaped, and according to Stuart Swardlow, the man who built the Renesle Chateau encoded the Waldensian secrets into the church. So not only does he show how the Catholic Church has all these fallacies, but he also included the real story hidden within the what we're told at René Le Chateau is like a, a sort of a inversion of what the Catholic Church said is the truth. It's not, you know, whatever. Whole saga of religious speculative stuff that I don't know enough about. But, um, but yeah, the Waldensians are kind of this interesting group of people that the church basically prosecuted. We remember them as being a part of the first ever witch trial, which was in uh, Fribourg, Switzerland in the 1399-1430s. There was a witch trial there that spilled over into where the Waldensians were. Um, This is where we get stories about witches on broomsticks, uh, witches anointing chairs and you know, flying off into who knows where with their magical chairs. They said they're masturbating with the brooms. You ever hear that? Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I think your boy Thomas Hatzis yeah. talks about that in his, some of his books. So uh, there's also Roman uh, werewolves reported at this time of the first, first witch trial in this area. And it's interesting because that group I talked about earlier, the burn that came and gave the Waldensians a lot of trouble. In their old city of Bern, a.k.a. the federal city, they have this statue of what's called the Ogre Devouring Naked Children. It's called the Kindly Fresser Brunnen. And uh, it's just very interesting. Can you zoom in on that a little bit? Yeah, it's very interesting considering, like, this is in uh, a city nearby where a lot of these things happened. And um, the fuck? And the witch trials, <laughs> one of the things that people were allegedly doing that got them in trouble at the witch trials was killing and eating their own children. So uh, mm-hmm. very weird stuff going on in this area. And who knows? I mean, the Waldensians could have been doing that, or maybe it was a part of the propaganda to that the church created to get these you know, heretics uh, killed one right? of 10 decorative is that is it all the same the 10 no there's there's different ones they're all different fountains with different sort of symbolical figures uh this is the most interesting one for sure there's another one that i thought was cool it's like this bear wearing armor he's like standing up he kind of looks like a sasquatch or like a moor or something but they say he's a bear um mm. so anyways we have the Waldo connection. Now, Where's Waldo is like that popular children's book, and it's using a style of art called Himmelbinder book, which was popularized by artists, alchemist artists like Hieronymus Bosch in his Garden of Earthly Delights, this overpopulated scene mm-hmm. with all these different characters, very similar to how they make these Waldo sh- uh, books, right? With all these uh, bunch of characters all over the scene and you got to find Waldo. Well, you also find Waldo's adversary or his opposite odd law, which is why I thought of the Lee Harvey uh, uh, Oslo thing, odd law, Oslo. Mm. Um, and then we also have wizard, the white beard who helps Waldo, <laughs> Uh, discover the truth about himself and his past, which I think is interesting because we have this exterminated people known as the Waldos, the Waldensians. Uh, and, you know, here's Waldo trying to figure out his past, going through these different yep. scenes, almost like a time Timelines. traveler. Yeah. Yeah. So he allegedly is from the land of the Wallies, which is interesting. In England, they call it Where's Wally, not Where's Waldo. But, uh, in America, they call it Where's Waldo. So on the back of the first edition of the Where's Waldo book, it has the word, it's a cult, or the phrase, it's a cult, on the back, which I thought was worth pointing out. There's also uh, some side boob action in this children's book that got covered Woo! up 10 years later. And it looks like maybe they had uh, some potheads in the airport here in one of the scenes. I found this. I thought that was kind of interesting that 
this children's cartoonist was drawing some potheads in the airport scene. Uh, but he also drew some alchemical symbols in this newspaper comic panel edition of Where's Waldo? And Waldo also has sort of a Templar attire, if you ask mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm, he's got the mm-hmm, red and white mm-hmm. matching hat, blue denim jeans, denim being France from France, the right? Cane. Uh, the cane is very... Uh uh it's like you know it's like it's it's a scepter or like a magical talisman yeah so it's, you know to have that have that grounding cord connection too and he always has he's his got his cane out without a doubt he's always got his cane with him well he's in a, a proper english gentleman this waldo guy so absolutely absolutely but the templar cross a lot of people might not know that the templar cross aka the maltese cross used to be called the waldensian cross so this was the symbol the of the Waldensians it before it was the there it is. of the Templars, right? So now we have where's Waldo in this sort of Templar-ish looking garb uh, with the name of the original people who bared that cross, the Waldos. So very interesting stuff. Now we're going to take a, a little bit of a left turn here. As I said, Waldo may be a time traveler. Well, Science fiction author Robert Heinlein originally published in his Astounding Magazine article or short story under the pseudonym Anson McDonald. Keep in mind, Robert Anson Heinlein has a very similar name to Robert Anton Wilson. Mm -hmm. My friend Mike Guan pointed that out. Uh, So the essence of this story is this journey of a mechanical genius who he's basically paralyzed. It's this transhumanist wet dream that they have these days where they're going to like uh-huh. you know use this super crazy uh, techno-fascist technology to save the disabled and give them the abilities that, you know, the mm-hmm. lesser the lesser god of nature gave them when they were born. Well, the higher god of science is going to solve those problems for them, right? So Robert Heinlein, he was a, a, a U.S. Navy lieutenant before he wrote science fiction. He also featured uh, some pretty disgusting themes in his uh, novels, like incest and pedophilia. So, I don't know, not not the most scrupulous, you know, or not the most upright-standing citizen, this uh, Robert Heinlein, but he's received a lot of awards and prestige for his science fiction uh, novels, and he also coined this term Waldo, which later uh, inspired actual companies to create real-life remote manipulators that are called Waldos. These master devices that operate a slave device. So, I thought that was interesting and and not a coincidence at all. Another non-coincidence is the fact that Robert Heinlein met his third wife, Virginia Heinlein at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard around the time of the Philadelphia Experiment. They were both in the Navy. Uh, Heinlein, after his death, he has a foundation called the Heinlein Foundation that uh, donates blood and and does blood drives. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, definitely kind of a weird guy. He's inspired some weird stuff. He also, uh, some of his followers coined the term polyamory in their Church of All Worlds. So he was sort of a lib- sexual libertarian type in the in his work, and like I said, uh, to a dis- disgusting extent, considering how he featured children having sex in his books and stuff. And what? Yeah, very weird guy, Robert Heinlein. So, you know, but he was a guest commentator with Walter Cronkite and Arthur C. Clarke uh, on the coverage oh, of the shit. Apollo Eleven moon landing. And he was also a big inspiration to our boy, Elon Musk. So, you know, these are the kind of creeps that uh, (laughs) have inspired uh, Elon and I'm sure countless others. So basically the synopsis of my article is what I just said. The the conclusion uh, is what if Where's Waldo is a voodoo doll of some kind or maybe some kind of Waldensian barba? to connect things to the Tartarian conversation, the Waldensian preachers were known as Barbas, a.k.a. Barbarians. <laughs> so uh, I wonder if they're part of the Tartarian extermination. Uh, but yeah, so Waldo 
Where's Waldo could be this traveling preacher looking for his lost, exterminated culture. Uh, or maybe he's just a mind-controlled slave. Uh, Stuart Swardlow says there are no written documents to explain the origins of the Vaudois Waldensians because the Catholic Church burned and destroyed whatever documentation they found, and they carted it away, uh, the rest of it away, to be stored beneath the Vatican. So most of their history has been passed down orally and has been kept somewhat alive and safe. It's also believed that the ancient Waldensian documents and artifacts are hidden in the, the cave systems of the Cotitian Alps. So, and then there's the part again about wow. the priest in the Rene Le, Rene Le Chateau who hid some of their secrets in that famous cathedral. So that's my research in uh, Where's Waldo, just sort of connecting some dots. Maybe there's something there, maybe not. But the Robert Heinlein guy is certainly a creep. There's a bunch of like register or uh, convicted sex offenders who are a part of some kind of group called the Heinlein Society. So clearly he in, inspired a lot of creeps, this Robert Heinlein guy. Did you look into the Martin Hanford character or the the author of Where's Waldo at all? Is there anything weird on, on that guy? Yeah, there's not much about him other than he's a Londoner and uh, and he's sort of, you know, only known for this book. But I thought his name was kind of interesting considering Martin was the famous Protestant reformer, St. Martin, right? Martin Ooh. gave his, Martin Luther gave his, like, whatever, however many things and nailed them to the church door and said, we're not going to follow your orders anymore. And that kind of solidified the Protestant movement. Keep in mind, the Waldensians were, of course, proto-Protestants, right? So maybe Martin Hanford, Hanford, he's like a, his hand is the, you know, how he's creating this stuff. It's art, right? So no, there's not much about him. He's just known for the Where's Waldo thing. And, uh, he went to the Kent Institute of Art and Design in England, uh, and he also did an album cover for a band called The Magnets, and, or I'm sorry, a band called The Vapors, their album called <laughs> uh, Magnets, and this is very interesting because it's an all-seeing eye. So his only, the only other work he's known for is this all-seeing eye album cover. Manly Pete. Oh. He's talking about Manly P. Hall. No. That's kind of crazy. I was just, dude, there's a little synchronicity when that happened. Uh, I was just looking up uh, different artists, and this guy, Max, his pen name Max. And then, as you said, Vapors, like this book was right here on the left side. Oh, we don't have your, we don't have your screen pulled up. This is Mark's screen. Oh. oh, are you screen sharing? My bad, dude. It's all right. Is that no, the anyway, guy? I just, no, this is like another, this is like a Spanish artist that I just clicked on because I was going mm, down a fucking rabbit hole. But then as he was just, as he was just saying that about the book or Vapors and I was like, whoa. And I was like, whoa. So it was just kind of like a fun little synchronicity. <laughs> mm, mm. But yeah, no, nothing really weird about Where's Waldo. He sold his, the rights to Where's Waldo in 2007. So, uh, but it was the, it was very popular, and it popularized, like I said, the style of occultist Hieronymus Bosch. Wow, dude, that's a super sweet. That's a super sweet dig, like a major weave there. Uh, and you know what? I was I was kind of thinking, like, with at some point, it's going to be necessary to kind of break down every single saint and like have a, have like a have because every single saint, I feel like there's a saint almost in every letter, right? Like there's there's a culture, like a mystery to like each. I want to break each. It's among. really weird synchronistically that you said that because when I started writing these Substack articles, my initial intention yeah. was to document the New Haven thing. And then I was learning so much about Protestant and church and all that that I'm like, mm -hmm. I got to do one Substack article per saint. So I don't know if you guys yes. are interested in collaborating with me on that. Yes. I think it would be cool if we did it in the form of a podcast where we examine these people historically. I don't know. Super down. We're Super always coming down. up like with the podcast church saints? ideas. 
Yeah, because they have all because, these occult things attached to them that like oh, yeah. people don't like pagan. Saint Christopher. I was looking up Saint Christopher, and apparently, there's this whole thing with Saint Christopher uh, having this big statue that got destroyed and saint christopher was the guy who like carried jesus across the river or something and jesus told him like you're doing exactly what you need to be doing you just carried the son of god over the river because this guy christopher he was like he saw that the emperor feared the devil so he went to the devil and he said oh you you know you're the most powerful being in the world so i'm gonna what, what do i need to do and he then he realized the devil feared God, so or feared Christ. So then he went to Christ, and he's like, "What do I need to do?" Like this, uh, I I forget the story, but either way, Saint Christopher was interesting. So yeah, I'm down. Yeah, nice. Yeah, every every. I mean, and then if you look at the occult foundations of America and how a lot of towns and major like esoteric parts points are named after saints, and then you look at the history of those saints and. You know, like St. Augustine of Hippo, right, has a lot. And then obviously uh, San Francisco and shit. So I really think there's something there. Uh, and I, I'm, I always need a reason to do it because generally, unless it comes to a show, because we have all these ideas, unless we say, hey, on the 16th, remember, we're diving deep into this character. You know, that's generally when I start to get... Uh, <clears throat> I work well. Uh, I work well on teams. Okay, I'm just gonna say that on my own, I love doing it. I'll be making music until the the early morning. But when we get going, when we start diving deep, when we start shredding it to fucking pieces, when we pick it up by the throat and throw it across the fucking room, and then go over and start wailing on it, just wailing, pot, pot, a pot, a pot, a pot, a pot, blah, blast through the door, head outside, start rolling down the fucking mountainside into the creek bed where you thus get taken away by the waters. When that happens, baby, it's over. It's done. It's a wrap. Yeah, okay. once you get in that in that flow state, it's alchemy, bro. Once yeah. you get in that flow state, you start weaving things in and out. Yeah, I agree. But it's got to be like a good topic, you know, where it's like you go down all the right pathways because uh, sometimes like with certain topics, you hit like a brick wall and uh, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of hard. Yeah. So it's got to be the right thing. You think it's not going to be juicy or some sweet. And it gravy, is. And the next thing you know, it just like turns into like the most esoteric shit you ever even thought about. You're like, what is happening? I yeah, bet that happened to you, Mark, on this one, on that Waldo shit, because that's a pretty good one, bro. Yeah, where, you. where'd you get the inspiration for that? Well, it was interesting. So my friend uh, Mike Juan and I, you guys know Mike Juan, um, mm-hmm. we talked about it on an episode of Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, and I don't really remember why I started. I think it was mostly just because of the art thing and, like, looking up mm-hmm. that term Himmelbinder book. When mm-hmm. I was, because I was trying to like use the AI art generator to emulate Hieronymus Bosch's painting. <laughs> so I'm like, how do I describe Hieronymus Bosch without using his name? Because the art generator didn't understand who he was, I guess. So I, t- I looked it up. I'm like, oh, okay, the style is called Wimmel Binder Book. It means hidden picture book. And then I started looking up hidden picture books. And I'm like, oh, the most famous hidden picture book is Where's Waldo? And then. Yeah, I guess it was the reading in the Stuart Swordlow thing that kind of connected the Waldo to the Waldensians, and then I looked it up even more online, but I don't really remember uh, exactly what sparked it. Uh, probably just the, the art thing. You guys ever remember growing up those Archie comics? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what what were they trying to do because in, in those they had the find the difference pictures you know what i'm saying like because you're talking about finding waldo you have to look through the entire thing to find them and circle them or whatever do you guys remember doing the ones where it's like spot the pic spot the difference in these two pictures like side by side what yeah. the fuck were they trying to do to us then <laughs> <laughs> distract our attention i don't know because like you're talking about like this uh, like Waldo, I mean, dude, I'm sorry, but it's got fucking homunculus written all over it where it's like, find the little homunculus. Like, you're talking about finding, yeah, like... He's not little. He's not little in comparison <laughs> to the people he's next to. He's big. He's, he's little to us, bro. He's the guy. little man. He's normal in comparison to everyone else in the scene. He's a fucking homunculus, dude. 
You uncover another homunculus forever. I knew you were going to say forever. that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> As I was thinking, because the voodoo doll thing is like a homunculus, so I'll give you that. The OG, yeah. But uh, I do think that that term Waldo as like a literal, like technological voodoo doll, like it said, it, call, it called it a slave device controlled by a master device. I mean, how, sympathetic magic, yeah. Yeah, it's such a weird, and it comes from that guy. Robert Heinlein, who wrote a book called The B666 and all these other strange books. And what? Yeah, You didn't know about this guy? No. Robert Heinlein, he's one of the like top most famous sci-fi authors. He's like listed up there with like H.G. Wells and like two other guys. Is the, and Isaac Asimov is like the best. And he was writing books about the beast. Like, he was came that up with book? the idea of space marines. Like the whole Starship Trooper movie Whoa. was based on his books about space marines. He also came up with the term moon bat, which was used by people in the 60s to call liberal politicians. They thought they called them moon bats because they were crazy. <laughs> yo, I, I got to do the dip. Yo, I got to drive into town and go do this. Uh, yeah. I got Friday my sister coming over too. So, well, Merry Christmas. This has been a fun episode. I don't know where this is going for you guys, but I wanted to invite you both onto my show to do a Christmas episode. So maybe this will be the Christmas episode since tomorrow's <laughs> Christmas Eve. And I don't know if you guys are going to be busy, but I probably be busy. So, um, I'm going to put this out on wherever you guys put it out. If it's Patreon, fine, but I'm thinking it could be a a public episode for everybody to enjoy for the holiday seasons, an extra bonus episode, a special treat from Mark, Santa Claus, Roman, uh, the helper <laughs> elf and Mrs. Juan Claus over there. Uh, Barley stone, the helper alchemist, <laughs> the, al <laughs> the assistant to the alchemist in charge. But yeah, I mean, you can put it out wherever. Just let me know. And we could do a swap cast or something. Right on. I'm Tycho's little uh, magic midget, dude. <laughs> It's a little homunculus, bro. Damn, yeah, bro. Dude. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Sign up on Patreon now to hear more bonus episodes like this one. Until next time, enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now.